Hello and welcome to Beyond Business with Wärtsilä, a podcast series that goes above the realms of strategy and operations and seeks to find solutions to our global problems. I'm your host Atte Palomäki and on a monthly basis I'll be talking to experts in their field about how we can work together to make a real difference. The idea behind each episode is to look beyond the scope of profit and margins and to really discover how businesses, thought leaders and experts can rally together and use their experience, intelligence, forethought and honesty to facilitate real change. Today, the topic of our discussion is the role of the banking sector in financing decarbonization and green revolution, specifically in the maritime industry. To drill deep into the subject, I'm joined by Michael Parker, Chairman, Global Shipping, Logistics and Offshore at Citibank, and my colleague John Hatley, General Manager, Market Innovation, and a true ambassador for clean shipping. Both are joining virtually from the United States. A warm welcome to both of you, and thanks for giving the time here to be with me today. Thank you, Ati, and uh, um, it's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I want to thank you also, uh, Michael Parker, for being our guest today, and Ate for for putting this topic up, which I think is extremely important to the maritime industry and the planet. Thank you, Jens. So let's get started. Michael, it is no secret that the shipping industry is going through a massive transformation, this requiring a fair share of investment. Is it right to say that the banking sector is front and center when it comes to enabling this green transition? Well, I think in the context of shipping, um, I would have to say yes. When we launched the Poseidon Principles in June 2019, this was the first framework for assessing climate impact from an industry, measuring it and committing to a target around banks' portfolios. Nothing else um, was there before and, and other sectors are working on it, and in many cases looking at the same methodology as we used. But the reason why the banks were able to do this for shipping is that banks are the primary capital providers for shipping. So banks, together with export credit agencies on new builder shipbuilding or maritime equipment, are the, are the prominent providers of capital, and that therefore gives us a vested interest and um, Uh, and the influence, I suppose, with our clients to try and help them, and I stress help them, manage the transition to the zero emissions goal that the IMO, at least for 50% of emissions, set out in April 18. There's a lot of discussion going on at the moment about raising that ambition, and I'm sure we'll come to it. We launched in June with 11 signatories, went up to 27 signatories, representing about half the total debt outstanding in the shipping industry, um, and we're continuing to add signatories. So I think we have given a lead uh, on this. Other initiatives like the Sea Cargo Charter um, have since followed, again, using the same methodology. And there are other initiatives under the auspices of the Global Maritime Forum which are likely to follow in the near future. So, John, as someone working deep in maritime, what is your take on the financial sector? You know, it's it's really a, a true paradigm shift that we see in the industry. And these two industry powerhouses have lended a, a tremendous 
surge in influence in helping shape a cleaner planet, which we all need to leave for future generations. And I think this combination now is a dramatic change because regulations by themselves would not have the accelerated emphasis or moves that these uh, industry powerhouses bring. And so I think it's tremendous change for the good that we see the banks taking the lead with Poseidon principles and now uh, the sea cargo charters on the chartering side with the business at hand, really moving things as green chases green is my favorite expression that the money helps shape clean, green environment. Well, Michael, as this green revolution takes hold, are banks now point blank refusing to renew the loans of companies that do not meet the decarbonization and ESG criteria? I don't think there's a simple answer to that. What I think we've done is, although ESG was already being talked about, what used to be called CSR, Corporate and Social Responsibility, now sort of become ESG. Um, I, I, I think that um, the banks have really, through the Poseidon principles, but through other things, have put environmental factors at top of the list in looking at business. Now, I say top, that's top equal, of course, with fundamental risk and credit analysis, all the things banks do making good business decisions. But for the, for the first time, environmental impact is up there as a not sole defining feature, but a feature that gives the lender or lenders, because much of this is done through syndicates, the ability to choose what business to do. Um, now, the Poseidon Principles takes a look back one year's emissions, uh, and so the commitment by banks to align their portfolios with the IMO's targets will take a number of years to, to, to move forward, but we had to start somewhere. And it's that transparency of the signatories in reporting the result and explaining it if asked that illustrates that we've started on something we're not going to go back on. Other sectors of shipping, including the container shipping companies, um, are also focusing very much on this issue because they're very conscious that the end consumer, uh, the Greta Thunberg generation, if you like, is very focused on the environmental impact of what they buy and how it is transported. But I think the general impetus of regulators around the world, from central banks all the way through to banking regulators, Uh, means that everyone in finance is attuned to this, and importantly, the investor community. Now, the only area to answer, to really try and answer your question, um, where, where a borrower doesn't meet its own stated policies on ESG, then, of course, that might be a reason for a bank to say, well, you know, it's all talk and no action. However, a very key point when we started the Poseidon Principles discussion, is that banks are looking at this at a portfolio level. We're not looking at it on an individual vessel by vessel in, in public. We're looking at it as a portfolio, giving each bank the ability to make the business decisions it wishes to make and, and to further the relationships it has with its clients. But this is about cooperation with ship owners, and ship owners have responded very positively to looking at the data and realizing what they have to do. Yeah, that that is definitely a very, very important point. Um, looking into the companies uh, and, and their 
own thinking around this, it's many times been said that uh, they have to choose between going green and making profit because going green is such an expensive endeavor, or at least it has been perceived as such. But how do you see this mentality changing now? Uh, it's really, in many ways, not easy to directly answer, but this simple way of looking at it is that both win. Uh, clean ships will be preferred. So you will then achieve the higher utilization and stronger premium cash flows from the charters. Why? Because they will pick the green ships first, leaving the dirtier ships uh, for last in line. The same will go to the banks. If you have a stronger cash flow from your chartering, it's most important you can properly pay the bank loan and not have any default or any problems with timing and amounts of interest and principles paid in a proper fashion. So it's really important that I think that the green not be lost out and not considered. It's truly a competitive advantage. And now with the sea cargo charter having been put up here in October of last year, following uh, the great moves of the banks a year and a half or so earlier, we're going to see a very strong bification of the marketplace where the green ships truly are green and on the monetary side greener than those less competitive ships. And, and that's where you will then begin to see uh, uh, some true owners wanting to get to green because they've got to stay on the cash flow side and they've got to stay uh, on a profitable side for the business so they avoid the undesirable stranded assets and the wealth destruction that occurs when you don't meet your cost of capital. I agree with that totally. And I think what we're seeing is that things like greenwashing are going to disappear very quickly because whether it's regulators or investors, people want to see um, the truth. And the truth is really in the emissions data. Um, and that data is becoming increasingly available. And that's what's being used in the finance world to measure key performance indicators on green bonds in the bond market, transition bonds in industries like uh, shipping and, and other hard-to-abate sectors. It'll be that data, and as John says, the improvement in the, the data showing the improvement in the carbon intensity that will actually show how shipping is lowering its emissions en route to its ultimate zero emission goal. And we, we haven't had the data before, Um, and I think this is going to be a game changer in many respects. The other one, touching on what John said, is no longer will price be the main decision-making tool for the charter because actually emissions, I think, will become more important. And, and I think that will dictate commercial success. Well, this certainly sounds quite encouraging going forward. Let's dig a bit into the Poseidon principles, which you mentioned earlier. Could you, Michael, give an layman's overview on what it is and how it all came about? The Danish Maritime Forum met three years under the auspices of Danish shipping, a by-invitation event um, to really talk about some of the bigger issues in shipping by key decision-makers that were not really being successfully addressed by many of the existing shipping bodies. And we had three of those in 14, 15 and 16, and a decision was made by those behind that Um, to create a transition committee to set up the Global Maritime Forum. And I was one of that transition committee, and I'm now a board member of the 
Global Maritime Forum. And I was asked as a banker on the board to meet with the Rocky Mountain Institute, a well-known environmental NGO, who wanted to discuss how banks shouldn't finance certain ships. And I had a meeting with James Mitchell of the Rocky Mountain Institute, and we discussed how banks actually do business in shipping. And he showed me a paper that he and the World Bank were about to publish. Um, and really, that was the sort of start of it, explaining that we don't bank ships in the same way and we have confidential relationships. But how could we address the issue that they were raising, which is how could we improve the environmental impact of our business? And that's how we ended up with a portfolio approach. We will evolve the principles in two ways. One is, as the IMO regulations change, whilst we're not, high, we're not tied to what the IMO does, but clearly guided by that. So I think the other thing about the Poseidon principles is there are other areas that we haven't touched on yet, like recycling and scrapping. And the Hong Kong Convention, which is not yet ratified, exists for us to include that at some point as another Poseidon principle, if you like, on, on how we do business and how our shipping clients should, should end up uh, recycling their vessels. So that, that's a sort of simple um, overview. And, and um, as I said, we're now up to 27 signatories representing over half, half of the outstanding debt. So, John, in your discussions with maritime players, how have they received these Poseidon principles? I think it's also back up briefly what, what Michael just said is the uh, the data collection. You can't improve what you can't measure. And I think this was a, a tremendous step that the IMO took with the data collection system being put into effect for the first full year in 2019, which gave the banks an opportunity to look at the portfolio of many tens of thousands of ships uh, and their syndicates that they have on their books uh, what the AER scores were and then begin to try to find ways for owners to to shape improvement. So now for the question for Ate as well is that we're seeing from a number of the Poseidon principal banks being introduced to owners who have a desire to do better, who have a care about cleaning up their fleet and maintaining a more competitive greener image. So we've seen is that a number of the owners look at a ship holistically, not as a single product of enhancements to the existing fleet. And if we can't do better with the existing fleet, how would we have sufficient money to earn the capital and justify the, the risks in building newer, more sophisticated, better uh, running ships in the future? So we've got to do better with the existing fleet. And we've been introduced to several owners where they look at the ship and then we look across a broad span of possibilities for that type of ship and its trade to improve. And there we find that a value map works an interesting way to combine understandings of the investment, cash flows in and out, and the environmental benefits. And taken together, these, these help make good decisions. And we're doing it across products, not only that Wartzilla has, but non-Wartzilla products, so, so that we can help owners see several possibilities. We're seeing quite a lot of activity and good activity by owners wanting to do better. Taking the consumer perspective, how do you see that playing out? Will the consumers have a choice between taking the green option, which might have a premium, or the cheaper option? Will it always be so that the environmental one is 
the more expensive one. So the consumers will have the choice. It's also the manufacturers. So I was reading in Lloyd's List a few weeks ago that the head of Volvo Logistics had talked about their supply chain being the black sheep of their environmental footprint. And so it's quite possible that as all this emissions data becomes available, manufacturers will realise that they have to change their supply chain. They may have to move manufacturing closer to point of sale. Um, and that, I think, is something we, we will see. But I think it's, it's quite likely there will be some impact there. And I, I think to amplify this, uh, talking to some ship owners in the containerized business, uh, they've told me that 10 years ago, uh, they talked to a customer, it was about the price to move a TEU across the Atlantic or across the Pacific. Now they say, if I don't come in with a very strong decarbonization and ESG policy, I can't talk to them. Before 10 years ago, it wasn't on the agenda. Now it is the key agenda at Walmart, at Ikea, at Nike, at Amazon. And, and these are the ones with the face to the customer, with the end product for retail. And so I, I agree with Michael that now this is transcending from the brand of the customer and the client to kind of the hidden background of the raw materials where we see the bulk wet and dry trades getting under intensive pressure to also clean up. And this part of the industry has been in the background, but, but now the consumer is also finding that there needs to be a much cleaner uh, regime there as well. So Michael, it seems that banks really have a massive role in decarbonization or they have the possibility to have a massive role there. So how willing do you see that the sector is uh, to take that role? I think very responsive. I mean, I think you referred at the beginning to the importance of banks in the financing of shipping. Shipping finance will become, it'll be more of a utility in future, I think, as the financing for these new vessels and, and new fuels and the infrastructure that goes with them. In order for it to be longer term, there has to be that higher degree of certainty in the ability to repay the loans, to give a return on equity. But obviously, in the early days, it has to be through uh, some form of um, subsidy or whatever one wants to call it, through either market-based measures or even directly locally. I think banks will continue to be important. I, I, I think we continue to expand the Poseidon principles signatories. Um, but you know, who knows where we'll be in five years and if we've helped kick something off that, that evolved quickly into something that helps other industries and helps the shipping industry, it would have been great. So is this perhaps a moment of redemption for the banking industry since the financial crisis of 2008? There's been a fair share of skepticism and criticisms towards banking. So I take this as a moment where it can take a completely different role again. Well, I think to some extent that's true. But as I said, the 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 I don't want to say collective guilt because um, I don't think everyone was as guilty as, as everyone else. You know the losses incurred following the global financial crisis and the end of the commodity boom were all there because essentially people financed to ship on an asset value that turned out to be um, a lot less when the time came, um, and so a lot of capacity was built into the world fleet that didn't need to be. As soon as you got some economic shock, that, that was shown. Now, if you look back at what's happened with COVID, the management and, and post the financial crisis, the shipping industry itself 
through slow steaming and other measures, has managed that capacity much better. And that makes it more attractive for financing. So getting a better balance between demand and supply. Now, because the global fleet is going to have to be replaced, in effect, in the next 30 years, or even less, but on a, in a concentrated way, the demand for capital is going to be very, very high. And I think shipping banks, with the expertise we have, will play an important part in the early stages of that. But the utility aspect, I think, will develop, will clearly be better financed in the institutional markets, the capital markets, where um, bond investors, as well as, of course, in the equity markets, will be willing to take long-term and safe risks. So it'll be financing more the supply chain and less the individual vessel. Um, and, and I think that will be a very positive transformation. Uh, and I think banks also have learned from mistakes in the past and will be looking to play a large part in that renewal of the world fleet. Uh, before I let you go, I wanted to briefly touch on the subject of uh, clean future fuels. Michael, as you mentioned, that you know there's scarcity around them and uh, and a lot of demand from all industries, and especially the aviation industry is quite hungry for for those fuels. So you know, with this situation of uh, very high demand, low availability, and prohibitive pricing today. How soon can we expect them to enter the market and how can one speed that up? I'm going to let John reply first to that question. Uh, thanks, Michael. <laughs> this is a tough one. <laughs> Actually, my crystal ball is is not too clear, but, but I can say a few things. Uh, as Michael said, certainty breeds investment. Uncertainty curtails investment. And today we see uncertainty multi-levels regulations coming at a fast pace, tightening, whereas before it might be decades before something changed. Now it's every few years on a ship that might have a life of 15, 20, or hopefully 25 years in some cases. Regulations are a past, very fast, frequent change. Technology, engine makers, other equipment makers, all types are trying to catch up with new technologies and evolutions. Technology is under rapid change. And then, of course, what you just brought up, the fuels. We can all talk about the fuels, the densities, and all the other technical aspects about them, the logistics, and are they available at what price. It all comes down to today we're witnessing real asset options as value. And in times of high uncertainty is when the real asset options have their greatest value. So there is some pause, and rightfully so, as these things begin to sort out. So I, I really don't think I can talk about the it and what it means, but the why is there's a lot of uncertainty. We've got to see some additional certainty for capital to flow where it needs to be prudently invested. Yes, I think the, the it is really the they, because one of the good things for shipping is there are seem to be a lot of alternatives, even if safety issues, for example, ammonia is a fuel and toxicity of that. Um, hydrogen. There are seen to be solutions uh, where there needs to be technological innovation, but they are, if you like, physical solutions which are subject to cost and build out. Unlike, say, aviation, which has sort of other challenges around how you get a large aircraft up in the sky and keep it there on these alternative fuels. But really, what's more important is what happens in the lead up to that. The shipping industry is lucky to have a global regulator in the IMO, but is unlucky to have seen some pretty poor regulation through the ballast water treatment 
not conceptually, but in terms of implementation of Alice Water Treatment um, Policy, and even IMO 2020, which we know is a very good objective, but to end up with um, you know, scrubbers on ships is really not a solution where the energy industry should have been told to solve the problem through the production of only low sulfur fuels. So what is important is the shipping industry has to play a large part in the development of these fuels so that ships are part of the work that goes on alongside all the other land-based industries that the energy companies are going to be providing power for or using fuels to generate the electricity for. And it's important that shipping as a maritime ecosystem is involved in a collaborative way. So that's why it's important that the industry is influencing the IMO's decisions on what is available, not waiting for those decisions to be made and living with it. So we don't know which will be the successful fuels, but as John said, we need to get the investment in with support from government. And then what will follow will be the investment in technology and research and pilots. There are a lot of pilots going on in shipping, um, which we're going to bring to the attention of COP26 in November to illustrate that the shipping industry is already doing things to decarbonize the industry. That brings us to the end of today's episode. I'd really like to thank the guests, Michael Parker and John Hatley, for contributing to an excellent discussion. Gentlemen, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I would just like to say John has been very good at really thinking through some of the real life implications of what the Poseidon principles have done. And uh, and, and he and I will be talking in other forums about that um, in the near future. But thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for being our guest. And Ate, thank you for this opportunity to bring up a very, very important topic. Please subscribe to our podcast on your platform and stay tuned for more fascinating interviews and discussions in the near future. I'm your host Atte Palomäki and this is Beyond Business with Wärtsilä. <laughs>